Ladies and gentlemen, as part of the Jeremiah Show, it's radio with TV's Tim Stack. Now here's the host, a man who Jay Leno literally got through college. It's TV's Tim Stack. Yay! Yay! Me again! Yay, you! Me again! (laughs) We've done so many of these, hundreds, well, maybe five. Anyway, um, this is our fifth podcast. It's ready with TV's Tim Stack. Thank you for joining us again. I'll quickly tell the Jay Leno story because it's kind of funny and kind of weird how it all worked out because later on in life, I got to do 50 episodes of Pumpcast on the Tonight Show with Jay Leno, which was this funny gas station bit that this guy Dave Rogalski came up with, and it was really fun. The easiest job I ever had. I would just show up, wait for people to pull up in the gas pump, then I would talk to them, play games, and it became kind of a hit on the Jay Leno show. But this is the story that I got to tell Jay the last time on, which is absolutely true. So I went to Boston College in the mid-70s. And I lived on this street called Colborne Road, which was right near Commonwealth Avenue. At the end of the block, there was a Mercedes-Benz dealer. And in the morning, the mechanics who worked at the Mercedes-Benz dealership would drive these old diesel Mercedes engines, and they would park in front of my apartment at 7.30 every morning, like clockwork, every morning, a diesel Mercedes with a horrible engine that was broken somehow would pull up in front of my bedroom. And the engine would grind and make these horrible noises because the mechanic needed to hear what was wrong with the engine. And that's how I would get up and literally get to 9 o'clock class were these diesel engines from the Mercedes-Benz dealership. Well, guess who was one of those mechanics who would literally wake me up in the morning and get me through college was Jay Leno. That's where he worked, down the street. And then he would tell jokes at strip clubs at night um, in the combat zone. Anyway, it's just so funny that he literally got me, like, I would not have made class. I would have slept right through it if it wasn't for Jay Leno. So there's that story. Anyway, let's introduce our guest for this week. Um, We're going to have a little drum roll. There's some drum roll that's going to keep going because he's got a lot coming up. You can find him at ShalomShuley.com. He has two podcasts, The Shuley Show and The Uncle Rico Show with like 8,000 episodes or something with all kinds of great interviews on there. Jim Norton, Lisa Lampanelli, Jim Florentine, a ton more. There's prank calls, there's stand-up clips, there's Howard Stern clips. He's on Cameo. He's got a live, two live dates this week. If you haven't seen him, it's so fun in person. I'll talk a little bit about that later. But he's at uh, McGuire's in Bohemia, New York, this Friday and Saturday. Go see him live. Here he is, Mr. Shuli Agar. Yay! Wow. Yay. I have no idea I had this much going on. You have a life, my friend, that you didn't know about. Um, where are you right now? You look like you're on a porn set in the 70s. Yeah, I'm at a, <laughs> a Airbnb, which is known as uh, 
a comics place. Gotcha. Uh, this is a co- comedian that opens for me, Anthony uh, Zenhauser, very funny comic. I'm crashing with him. I'm crashing with another comic in the city, James Mattern. I'm outside of the city right now. I have been going nonstop since I got to the East Coast. We've done, uh, we did the city, we did Atlantic City, we did uh, Connecticut. And uh, next weekend we have Long Island, and and this week I'm just running around. I've been to wrestling matches. I've been, it's crazy. It's like New York. You just drop into this insanity, and you just got to go with the. It's like a really fast, lazy river where you just you're in it, and you just you got no choice. Um, so anyway, uh, Shuli and I have gotten to know each other over the years now, right? Uh, which I want to talk yeah. about. Uh, I want to get to, obviously, there's the Howard Stern connection, uh, me doing Son of the Beach and Shuli being on the Stern show for 16 years or something. But I want to start, I always like to start in uh, the beginning of somebody's life. I like to start there and warm up. So you have such an interesting family. Just explain a little bit about, you, you were born in Israel, Correct. Yeah, I was born in Israel. Uh, I have two older brothers, the youngest of, of three boys. Uh, my uh, uncle, who I'm named after, uh, was killed in the Six-Day War. And so when I was born, which was uh, an accident, my mom kept it for my dad. She'd had a pregnancy before me and lost it. And the doctors told her she couldn't get pregnant again. And she uh, she flipped him off while chain smoking throughout my entire pregnancy and, <laughs> and basically told him at like seven or eight months that she was pregnant and rolled the dice. Uh, I was out. And, and once I was there, uh, my my uh, mom was like, listen, I don't want our kids going into the military. Um uh, they had a hunch that things wouldn't, you know, mellow out anytime soon in no, the Middle they, East. That hunch paid off. Yeah. And she's like, I want a better life for my family. And, you know, they they caught a lot of flack for that from family, from friends that because in Israel, you know, it's mandatory. You 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 serve everybody there serves. And um, she was not having it. But and so her. Go yeah. ahead. Sorry, I interrupted. Go. No, no, no. So just her. My dad packed us up. I think they had like 20 grand to their name. They flew uh, to the United States, to Los Angeles. They didn't know, they didn't, you know, know the language. Their resources were limited, but they, they uh, did what they had to do for their kids. That was what they always told us over and over again. What we do is for our children, you know, and then and then they'd make you feel like crap for it the rest of your life. So. Um, so, yeah, so we came to the States. I watched my dad hustle and grind and open up a deli in an office building. And then he ended up buying a car wash. And then he ended up buying another one. And, you know, he ended up having three total. Uh, the guy, uh, the, the, we lived in the San Fernando Valley in L.A. It's where I grew up and went to school. And he, his car washes were by Disneyland in Anaheim. So we drove so, all the way down there every day? Seven days a week, man. Oh my seven gosh. days a week. That's- I mean, you weren't married to my mom, so you'd have been <laughs> sitting shotgun with him too. Uh, but yeah, so I just watched these guys uh, break their backs and, and just go nonstop for us. And uh, it was it was uh, very inspiring. Uh, all at the same time, they're insane, my parents. They... 
Um, I call them a, a tag team of bad news. They, they love. <laughs> they but, really they love being the first to tell you. But they, they live. For another element to all this is that your mother is Palestinian. Yeah, so she was born uh, in Israel when it was Palestine, and so on her birth certificate, she's Palestinian. She's not Israeli. So she's and not Jewish. She's yeah, absolutely. Oh, she is. But she's. But we she's just always think assume we assume that. Yeah. Oh, I see. Okay. We're such yeah, idiots I, here. We don't really understand that. We just hear Palestinian. We assume Muslim, and no, that's not the case. No, I researched it for the jokes. You know what I mean? I want to make sure I'm covered. <laughs> um, so which, yeah. Which so, you, so please tell my favorite joke about about your dad and your mom. Oh, I tell I tell people. I said, you know, I believe peace can't exist out there because my mom is Palestinian and my dad's Israeli and he's occupied her vagina for 60 years now. <laughs> she's fine. That's, that's one of my favorite jokes. There's so many. Yeah. So, um, so you, you know what, let's stay on your folks for a second. Uh, yeah. Dr. D, can we play that clip? This is from Shuli's, uh, the sober album. Um, yeah, this- I did. I did an album where I did two shows back to back and I did the same set list for both shows. But the first show I did completely sober and the second show in between the first and second show, I got drunk and stoned as quickly as possible and ran up there and tried the same material. You had a 90 second break. You were able to. Do I did. It, I did. I wanted everything. to do a social exper- experiment and get hammered uh, all on someone else's dime. I love That's that. funny. So let's hear this clip. I recently uh, found out my dad's afraid of flying when I flew with him uh, from uh, L.A. to Vegas. And it's a 45 minute flight. But I knew he was afraid of flying because he wouldn't shut the f- up the minute we got on the plane. He just kept talking up until we're taxiing to take off. He's still talking. None of this would be a problem, except all he's talking to me about is statistics of airline crashes. That's all he's that's all his memory can can work with. So. We're in the, he's been in a couple wars, he can't hear, so he's loud. So other people are now hearing these fun facts. And you just hear, you know, the putt. Flight attendants, prepare for departure. And then from the back, here, 1998! <laughs> Sioux City, Iowa! A plane just like this one! In fact, Delta, same airline. <laughs> Flip over on takeoff like we are doing now. Oh, my God, that's so funny. I'm jumping around here, but when did you start to know, like, you could do voices? Like, your impression of your dad, as we'll talk about Tan Mom, which is how we met, uh, your, your rendition of Tan Mom. But, like, at what age did you start, like, knowing, like, I could do voices pretty well, like, really well? Uh, I think I think the first impression, well, the, actually, the first impression I ever did was that I learned was uh, Bobcat from Police Academy, Bobcat Goldwave. Yeah, sure. Me and my friends were so, uh, my friend Wesley and I were just so, uh, just drawn to this character from police academy and that voice and we just we watched it over and over and i've always had like i've always loved radio i'm a very audible person like i love listening to stuff people's laughter that was a big thing for me coming over from israel you know i had this weird name uh at that time i had long hair 
and it was like i i couldn't have done more to draw uh, attention to myself <laughs> if i tried you know and and nobody knew you know i'm from israel they're like you speak jewish like they didn't know anything <laughs> like me and <laughs> yeah and, and so it was tough so my my whole thing of like kind of disarming people with that was was humor was was like i make i meet people and i'm like my first thought is i wonder what their laugh sounds like because they're snowflakes there's no there's no two that are the same right so for me that's funny i never thought of that yeah for me i was it was always like a, a inner challenge you know like make this person laugh i gotta hear what this sounds like right and so bobcat was probably my first impression that i did and then i remember being like uh 11 maybe 12 i was my my oldest brother had a place in palmdale not to brag sorry but uh <laughs> for those who know palmdale yeah and, and and we went over to his place and i found his his high video camera and i put it on and i just walked around his his place uh in, in my best robin leach voice yeah and doing an episode of lifestyles of the not rich and not famous and just goofing on all the stuff in his house which he still has that video of me doing it but i've always loved voices and with, with my parents voices it's tough not to go into that you know right um it's so funny so then the family moves to vegas like after high school or during high school when did you guys all go to vegas yeah, they they left after high school uh, when I was just getting out of high school, and and I did not want to go to like I grew up in Vegas because we lived in L.A. Right. I my mom was an addicted gambler for years, and so she would go to Vegas like twice a week uh, a month. <laughs> and she bring you? Oh my God! I uh, let me tell you something. I would go to her. I would go with her to Vegas. Like I was her co-pilot. She we would get in her Oldsmobile. I remember one time. She called and made a reservation at a hotel and then we got in the Oldsmobile and from L.A. to Vegas, she made it in three hours. I'll never forget <laughs> wow. the speedometer was the needle was buried, right? right? Like you just didn't see it. And I'll never forget. She went up to the front desk and she's like, I'm here to check in. And uh, and the woman's like, oh, Mrs. Agar, how was your flight? The flight was good. You know, she didn't hesitate at all. Like. So, yeah, there were signs that she might have a problem. But for me, it was like I was going with her. She was giving me money. And at seven years old, I was taking a cab from the Sands Hotel to Circus Circus. I'd go. I'd play video games upstairs in the arcade. Oh, my God. And I'd make sure I'd have enough money left over for a cab ride back. Plus tip. That's class at seven years old, <laughs> seven years old, just oozing class. Have a good night, boss. Handing him a Finsky, the seven year old. Take me to Circus Circus. So yeah. then, uh, OK, we got one minute to go. We're, we're, we're running out of time already. So at, but you stay in Vegas because that's where you got your stand up career started, correct? Yeah, I met uh, Sandy Hackett, right, Buddy Hackett's son, who right. gave me stage time 
inside casinos, which is almost impossible to get in Vegas because there's no circuit there. So if you're uh, an established represented act, you'll work Vegas. The rest of us, you know, we're all doing dive bars, uh, you know, f- trying to write material to complete, you know, compete with gambling addiction and losing your mortgage. You know, oh that's always fun. God. <laughs> Unbelievable. See, yeah. Buddy Hackett. Did you ever get to meet him at all? In, in that I did. Time? Oh, you I did. did. I, I got to meet him once and I asked him. It was a time uh, at that time in comedy. There was a big debate about working clean and, and working dirty because Vegas is not pro artist vegas is pro audience it's whoever's spending the money right Right. so some gigs were like you got to be clean and we were young and we're like what is this crap you know we were were clean. and i asked him i said what's the difference between you know what do you think working clean or working dirty and he goes if you can work clean you can work anywhere he says you build your audience and then when they come see you that's when you tell them the dirty shit. (laughs) (laughs) that's funny uh, I did. I do know one story about him through Freddie Roman, you know, the great Catskills sure. comic, whose son, Alan Kirshenbaum, was a friend of mine. He passed away. Uh, but he told me a story that one time Buddy Hackett, they were in an elevator in Las Vegas, and Buddy Hackett steps into the elevator and pulls out a gun on Freddie Roman and says, I hear you've been stealing my jokes and puts the gun up to his neck. Yeah. And and Freddie Roman goes, what joke? What joke? And he tells the buddy hack and tells the joke. He goes, it wasn't me. It was Jackie Leonard. And <laughs> <laughs> these are old Catskill comic names that I love, which anyway, that's my- I, I you Sandy told me a great buddy story, by the way. Yeah. That that buddy was the entertainment director at the Sahara in the 70s at one point. And they had Sonny and Cher performing one weekend and Buddy's away uh, shooting something. And Sandy's 19. He's running the entertainment director spot for his dad. 19. And and he gets a call from from security and they go, listen, Cher is swimming in the swimming pool without a, a bathing cap. It was a state law back then oh my that God. they had that women had to wear bathing caps in the pool. So they go, you got to go get her out of the pool or get her to wear a bathing cap. So 19 year old Sandy Hackett goes over to share one of the biggest entertainers in the world. And he says, uh, I'm sorry, state law requires that you have to wear a bathing cap. And she looks at him and she goes, F off. <laughs> and he, and he, he goes and he calls his dad and he's like, I don't know what to do here. Shares in the pool security saying they got to come out or she's got to put it. And he goes, well, did you talk to her? And he goes, yeah. He goes, what'd she say? She, she told me to F off. And he goes, well, what are ticket sales like? <laughs> <laughs> and Sandy goes, uh, well, every show's sold out. He goes, well, then F off. Leave her alone. <laughs> That's great. Okay, we're going to take our first break of four breaks. We'll be right back with more of Shuli Agar. It's radio with TV's Tim Stack.
How are you? Hello, Bobo. How are you? <laughs> like my hair. Hold <laughs> on, well time to tan. <laughs> She's got her tan gun. Oh, I is that a that, tanning gun? I thought that was a blow dry. I was going to have you touch me up. <laughs> hey, Bobo, are you attracted to tan, Mom? I find her very sexy. You couldn't last two seconds on I- this ride. <laughs> <laughs> so that was Shuli doing tan, Mom, which is how Shuli and I got together. Because I, I, you know, having come from the Groundlings and, and, and seen people develop characters that eventually ended up on Saturday Night Live and places like that, that I just always love to see the growth of Tan Mom over the years. What started out as just an impression of Tan Mom, which will explain who she is. I'll let Julie explain who she is. But uh, it just became this full-bloom character with a whole life and a husband and kids. And, and I just loved it so much that I got in touch with Shuli and I thought this would make a great animated show. And I still believe that. And we're trying to sell it. We've gotten a little – we actually got a very great rejection just this morning. <laughs> uh, guy couldn't have I been nicer. framed it. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah. So well, tell everybody, in case they don't know, who Tan Mom is. Uh, Tan Mom is is a lovely woman, uh, originally, ironically, and originally from Nutley, New Jersey. Who uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is true, and uh, she was in the news uh, back in the day for. Um, uh, you know, things happen. Maybe her kid went into a tanning booth at <laughs> six years old. Maybe she didn't. You know, I'm not here. I'm not here to tell you what's right and wrong, ladies and gentlemen. I'm just here to tell you that's where the nickname Tan Mom came from. And you are the kid who went to Circus Circus on his mother's time at (laughs) seven. So, you know, you know, it's like some kids want to look good for elementary school. You know, Tim, is that a crime? So she she was in the news for that. And then a few years after that, she kind of hopped on the radar of the Stern show and and kind of calling in and becoming an honorary member of uh, the WAC Pack, which are a group of uh, the world's elite, if you will. <laughs> which I should also mention that when you go to see Shuli live, you never know who's going to show up. So if you're a Stern fan and a WAC Pack fan, chances are somebody is going to show up and be part of the audience that night, and then you meet them afterwards. It's always it's always a great show, and I'll just plug again. He's at Bohemia, no, in Bill, McGuire's in Bohemia this weekend in New York. Go, I, I'm yeah. t- it's so and not fun. only is it a surprise to the audience, it's a surprise to me most of the time, too, <laughs> uh, when they show up. So, yeah, so my job there for a while was to kind of be the conduit between the whack pack and the show and keep tabs on everybody. And she was somebody that uh, I spoke with on the phone regularly. That's where a lot of these impressions came from, you know, on SNL. I remember already telling on mad TV when they had an impression to learn, they would just put on a Walkman and they would just play that person's voice over and over and over again. And that's literally was my job was to talk to these people every day. So, um, I, I just started kind of doing her impression. And the coolest thing about it is when I'm in junior high and I'm listening to the Howard Stern show on the West Coast for the first time, and I'm hearing this guy on there by the name of Billy West yeah. doing all these voices and running puppets. And and like my favorite comedy is organic 
on the spot comedy. It's where you get the hardest laughs. It's where when something clicks, it's just magical. Right? Speaking of and which, let me let, let's play the second clip of you <laughs> doing Tan Mom with Tan Mom in the studio. So it's Tan Mom <laughs> v Tan Mom. Yeah. Would you mind having a, a discussion with yourself? I, yeah. Go yeah. ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Surely, <laughs> uh, yeah. mom, ask Tan Mom a question. Uh, McShirley, how how are you? I'm doing really good. So am I. <laughs> Where are you going to Florida? <laughs> Uh, Wait a minute, Julie, Mom. Uh, are you moving to Florida? I am moving to Florida as well. <laughs> He's coming out, I think. I am. <laughs> I, again, it's like my his my whole heritage is with the growlings, and when I hear words like Flora, fl- like yeah. mispronounced like that, that's just it's the kind of stuff that I heard and and got in touch with you to develop that show. So you mentioned Howard Stern, which is how we met, you know, obviously right. through him, and. I I know you and I have talked a lot about it. I am just going to say that I, and I'm not saying this for any reason because Howard couldn't care less, but I really think that he, if you look at the history of entertainment, I think he may go down as the greatest producer of entertainment of all time. Would you disagree or agree with that? Not not at all. I, I wouldn't disagree with that at all because, you know, it was I mean, there's stuff like the Carson show and stuff like there. There were heavyweights in my life that helped kind of steer my humor. Uh, Rickles, you know, Carson um, and and Howard is on the top of that list. I mean, his show, first of all, comedy aside, it was the first reality show when you really think about it, I mean, here's this guy fighting with his bosses, fighting with his wife, mm-hmm. 100%, the time, yeah. fighting with his coworkers, letting you in and behind this curtain. Yes. It was so crazy. And then you have like them just doing the news every day and then mm-hmm. something happens and it leads to 45 minutes of a whole nother segment and they haven't even finished the news. And that's the thing. Yeah. I think people really so, uh, still think like, oh, Howard just sort of puts that together. And it's it's just years and years when he was doing five days a week, four hours a day of entertainment. And then, uh, you know, then he's doing a TV show with me at the same time and a movie. And it's just I, I don't know how he did all that. And I can understand why he doesn't want to really do other stuff anymore. Um, I always compared it to like when when Car- when the animal people would show up on Carson and bring out animals like yeah. that. That was Howard's show in in its prime was just everybody handing him an animal and going, oh, let's see him make something out of this. Yeah. You know, but I do want to talk about like I, I, only because I had a little bit of exposure to it. And my impression was that Gary Delabate was really good at his job. It may not come off like that on the air, but I found him to be very good at his job. But the question is, like, in terms of producing material on that show, can you just talk about the process of, like, where you get an idea and then how it would eventually get to Howard? And I'm not mentioning names. You don't have to mention names. But just in terms of production, because I'm fascinated by that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a much... uh, uh bigger machine now than it was when it was just Jackie Howard and Fred, you know, writing uh, bits. This is, you know, there's a team of people now, team of writers, uh, funny people from all walks of entertainment. And 
they uh you know we have a couple pitch meetings uh once a week twice a week um and then whatever is kind of whittled down off that list you know it's anything and everything from what's in the news to staff stuff to whack pack stuff whatever you uh hear of or working on or think might be interesting because you know one of the hard parts is coming up with something that's not on his radar that's good enough to get hit get on his radar right you know what i mean mm-hmm. he's at the point right now where he's like i'm not, i don't want to learn about new shit you know <laughs> like i don't want to like it, it, do i know it great now i have a little bit more of a vested interest in this going further right so um yeah it's it's pitched there then it's whittled down then you know work on a little bit more and once it's not once it's done but once it's a little bit more refined and there's a direction and there's a you know a beginning a middle and end we send that to him and see what he wants to go forward with so it's yeah you're always peddling you're always working you're always creating and you don't know if it's all going to get there but at the same time you know for many many years the the for me the coolest thing about it is it never felt like a job so that's great it wasn't it wasn't the problem and then i i just want to promote some stuff again shuli's got these dates coming up he's got two podcasts uh the shuli show which i've been on which is great and then this new show uh the uncle rico show so why the t- uncle rico is one of my favorite movie characters of all time. Mine too. Oh, Napoleon Dynamite is, I watch it once a year. I've watched the DVD where you hear the director's commentary, which is fantastic to hear, you know, how they made this genius film. But why uh, the Uncle Rico show? Well, to make a long story short, a former employee of the Stern Show. Which is uh, my next question. In its heyday, by the name of Stuttering John. um, That's John Melendez, who then was on The Tonight Show when I was there working for Jay. Correct. And so John uh, had a history with the show, and he also has a history of um, uh, not being the nicest guy. And for years, he I, I can only would, tell you this. Let me interrupt for one second. When yeah. when the when the Stern show would call when I was doing Stern on the Beach and they want me on the air, when Gary would call, he'd say like, "Tim, I know. I'm sorry. It's three forty-five in the morning." Uh, Howard was wondering if he could, I'm really sorry. It's just really really appreciative if you come on. And then when John would call, the phone would ring, and he would just go, "Hey, Tim, <laughs> it's John. Hold on." <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so and it, nothing's changed yeah. nothing's changed at all but so he would take these shots at me knowing that i was kind of working knowing that i was working for the show but i was also kind of under this umbrella where nobody told me not to get involved with this guy but starting a fight with him would right. probably not be a good look for me at my job right so i avoided it i took the high road he continued to podcast and broadcast and talk about me and make claims about me that weren't true and i always took the high road and then we went and broadcasted from la for a week's worth of shows with right. the stern show and he uh he came to he fi- figured out which hotel we were staying at and he showed up at the hotel with the camera crew it was a it was a guy fatter than him with a cell phone like this <laughs> and uh and he walks up to me and tries to do like his stuttering john thing with me and my thing at that moment was like 
if I respond the way I want to respond, we're about to have a fist fight right. in this hotel lobby. So I just casually walked over to security. I said, can you get this gentleman away from me? You know, and then the next day he goes on all over YouTube. Look at Shuli the chicken running away. Uh, 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 you know, and again, I took the high road. So, so you waited till you left. And, and I, and I, left, the the Even Rico after I left the show. I took the high road with him. I said, I'm not going to get involved with this idiot. Well, turns out a good friend of mine uh, by the name of Carl, who has a show called Who Are These Podcasts? They basically review podcasts that their fans send to them to yeah. review. And the reviews are usually not great. Uh, and, <laughs> and they have a weekly segment on their show dedicated to clips of Stuttering John from his podcast. Yeah. And when I tell you, Tim, you love characters, you couldn't write a character like this. He is unbelievable. And the fact that I stayed away from from just responding to this guy, much less even argue to me, I don't I don't hate the guy. Right. I find him wildly entertaining. And now it gives and you all material. I'm doing on this Uncle Rico show is taking clips from his show that are all over the Internet. Right. And and watching them with my comedy friends, Mike Morse and Bob Levy. Right. And we comment and make fun of these clips. And and, and this, but we got to take a break, but I still want to know. And it's so funny to watch the, both of Shuli's podcasts, but and they're so different, but because this one is dedicated. But why titled Uncle Rico? Uh, all he does is talk about the past. He, oh, I see. That's okay. all. You know, he's he's one. You know, one day away from going. I bet I can throw this football over this mountain. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> We're going to take another break. Talking to Julie Agar on its radio with TV's uh, Tim Staff. I think it's time for a drink. What do you guys say? So, I'm doing two shows tonight. This is the sober show. That's why I'm sweating like I committed a crime. <laughs> Don't mind me, just addiction, guys. <laughs> and then this next show, I'm doing uh, uh, completely not sober. So, uh, if any of you guys want to see me fail and... Uh, <laughs> No, this was the scary show. My wife goes, sober and, and not sober, are you worried? And I go, yeah, I've never done a sober show before in my life. <laughs> so this is the first. And uh, Very good, very good. Uh, that was Shirley Agar. He's performing this weekend at McGuire's in Bohemia, New York. Make sure you catch his podcast, The Shuli Show and The Uncle Rico Show. And, and Shuli's website, uh, shalomshuli.com, has so much free entertainment. That yes. that it's just free. So just go there. Uh, speaking of free, I'm going to plug myself for one second, not literally. Uh, 
going to say, this is a family show. Too. It was. <laughs> you were the, I was the one who was telling you that. Um, so the, the show sprung on Amazon Freebie. It's out. All 10 episodes are up. It's really getting great reviews and great following. And it's weird because it's a weird channel. Freebie. Uh, but if you, I always say go to Amazon and type in the word sprung, it'll take you there if you don't. But, or download Freebie, either one. But it's uh, free television. It's really good. So let's go back a little bit. I want to talk about your first, like, the open mic experience in Vegas. So uh-huh. you go, like, I know Sandy Hackett gave you, but there must have been, like, a two-minute time somewhere where you got up and just did two minutes was there anything before the sandy hackett appearance well sandy ended up uh setting me up with a bar uh right on sahara and las vegas boulevard it's beautiful oh, it's there right next to it's right next to the world's <laughs> largest souvenir store you know that, that yeah. thing. is that the one you worked at or you worked at some liquor store <laughs> no, this was a different liquor store. This was a bar that I got to run an open mic. My first open mic that I was running uh, was at a bar called Honest John's, which ironically, not one person in it or working for it was honest. Um, and my so, open mic. So you're doing your own open mic. Yeah. And so I'm meeting all these comics, you know, open micers in Vegas. Yeah. I'm giving people stage time. We're literally performing for the homeless people that were in the DVD set bum fights. Yes. Um, no, yeah. That's our audience. And and then later I got a gig from that to be the warm up, the opening act for an all black male strip team called the Black Stallions that also <laughs> performed at Honest John's. <laughs> So that was that was my road to showbiz right there. Did Pete when you opened up for the Black Stallions? Did people care? I mean, my brother was comedy partners with Nathan Lane, the comedy team of Stack and Lane, and they yeah. once opened for Eddie Rabbit. Remember Eddie Rabbit, the country sure. singer? Sure. And they literally had to step behind one of those chicken coops. Because people were throwing beer bottles. They're doing like Broadway back and forth stand up comedy and people are throwing things at them. Was that what Black Stallions was like? No, because it was it was all women sitting there. So it was a lot of just a lot of this noise. Just a lot of that. Just <laughs> and just and then you just hear a lot of mm-mm, mm-mm, now were they predominantly I don't care about race, but they were were they predominantly white or black women? No, this this was all black. This was this was a FUBU production. I mean, this was for them, by them. They were they were the strippers. They were the audience and I was in the way. Uh, I literally was a roadblock to fun and they couldn't wait for me to get done. And and my, my biggest bit, my best closer was, you guys have been great. Enjoy the Black Stallions. That got a standing ovation every time. They could care less. I was just a dumb idiot, you know, wasting their time before they wanted to throw money at these guys. That's so funny. So then yeah. I, 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 I'm also fascinated by how you hooked up with the Stern Show, because that was that's quite a story of you getting up at what? Three in the morning, two in the morning. Well, I was living in Vegas at the time, so I hadn't gone. So to you were bed going yet. to bed. Right. Like I was getting home from whatever, you know, job I had all kind. I worked at a liquor souvenir store. I worked at the airport pushing uh, people in wheelchairs. Um, so, you know, my 
I was at Vegas at my age, you know, people my age, they didn't go to bed till the sun came up. So I was up at 3 a.m. when the show was live on the West Coast. And for me, that was great. I got to listen to the show live with a, with a lot less commercials. Right. And 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 I was up. I was up playing video games, you know, and so I just did it. But I, I was dating a girl at the time that hated that I didn't go to bed when I came home from work, that I that I stayed up. and we got in an argument one day and she's like, I don't get you. Like you spend all this time listening to the show. You record episodes of the show, call in, do something. And I'm like, what do you know? You know? <laughs> and then a month later, Howard announces we're coming to the hard rock hotel in Vegas to do a series of shows uh, from a blackjack table. So come check out the show. And I said, you know what? I'm going to call into his show. And, and it was like fate, man. Like I dialed the number the first time. Uh, I remember Benji Bronk uh, mm -hmm. answered the phone in the back. I I told him I said uh, I want to I want to tell him a joke, and I want to see if he laughs. Can I make a bet with them at the blackjack table? That was the bit that I came up with, and within five minutes I was on the air. And, oh my uh, god! You must uh, have freaked. I was. It was wild because here's my moment. Like this is a moment I've been dreaming of since junior high, and. It happens and everything falls into place. He laughs at the joke. I get booked to, to, to go on the blackjack table. I hang up the phone. It's 430 in the morning. My, the only person in this apartment is my girlfriend who hates me and hates Howard. <laughs> my parents wouldn't understand it. I call them. They're going to have a heart attack that I'm calling at 430 in the morning. Right. Like I had this amazing moment. And like most comics, I was just by myself. Right. I was alone. You know, nobody to celebrate with. Nobody, nobody. So then did you show up at the Hard Rock? Yeah. Yeah, I showed up. I, and at the time I was working at a souvenir liquor store and I brought every penny that I had to my name for this bet at the blackjack table. The premise was they were they were broadcasting from a blackjack table. I remember every I was now there. and then they would make the bet and yeah. the celebrity guests would bet with them. Yes. And so here I come three hundred dollars to my name. And the guest uh, at the table uh, at the time was Kevin Sorbo from TV's Hercules. Sure. And uh, I remember I put down the $300 and Kevin Sorbo put down $100. And then they just started ripping on him about how you have the world record syndicated show and you're only right, betting, you're betting $100. $100. And uh, they're like, this loser from the liquor store has got 200 <laughs> more than you. We end up uh, getting an 11. Everybody wants to double down. I have no money. Right. Howard, Howard stakes me. We dealer busts. We win. Uh, I get my money back. Howard gives me extra money. And, and that was it. From that moment on, this was my job. Every morning at 2.45, I was going to have my notepad out. I was going to have my bits or my questions, impressions, whatever. And I was going to call in and I was going to get in on the air. And it wasn't to plug anything. Right. It was just it was just to play ball. It's such a great story. And yeah. it's really I mean, it's also speaks to the, you know, when before that show got so big and and produced, there was just a down to earth, very kind of minimalist uh, aspect to it all. That was just so great. Yeah, I was there. I came over to the Hard Rock because I was pitching him. I got hired to write the movie Rock and Roll High School. 
I was right. one of, I think there have been about 70 writers on that now since me. But I was mm-hmm. the first one in the door because it's coming off some of the beach and Don Buckwald, his agent, got me in. So I had to drive over to Vegas to pitch that movie. Also, I will add... I had had a colonoscopy in the morning and I had to do it without <laughs> anesthesia because I had to drive to Vegas. So while I'm driving to Vegas, I had to come up with a story for ro- how to reinvent rock and roll high school. And somehow I did, I think, and uh, pitched it to him. But that was a crazy time in That's the Howard Stern show was the trip to Vegas. We are, oh, we got two more minutes till the next break. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's very good. Um, so, so then you... Then you get to the Stern Show and you're hired as a reporter. This, but this is after years no, I, of you calling I, I, in. I was brought in as a consultant. I was I was flown into New York by Tim Sabian yes. to be a consultant for this Howard 100 News team. It was uh, about 18 people. All these reporters that are real, legitimate reporters from the news world. But they so just not- liked you because you were surely from Vegas who called in. Well, they didn't know the reporters didn't know anything about the show, really. Like they didn't know the the structure, the hierarchy. Like I literally was like a, a you know, a, a, a detective with a with a task board up there with like the head of the mafia, Robin, you know, <laughs> Gary. I'm like explaining everything to him. That's funny. And, uh, and I and I told him as much as I could on day one. And then like day two, I'm sitting here going, well, crap, I don't want to go home now. Like I told him everything. So I uh, snuck a recorder out and I went out into Times Square and I just I started asking people about Howard. But all I was really doing was crowd work. Right. No matter what their answer was, I was going to say something funny. Right. And and I brought it back to the news director at the time. This woman, Liz Aiello, very big name in uh, New York uh, news. Great woman. And she heard 20 seconds of it. And she goes, this is great. We're putting this on the air. And that was another one of those moments where I was like, this is my job. I'm going to learn how to edit. I'm going to learn how to interview. I'm not going back to Vegas. <laughs> that was it. Had you broken up with your girlfriend at this point? Yeah. A comic buddy of mine called me, said, I'm in the Vegas airport. Are you still with your chick? I go, yeah. Why? Oh, no big deal. She's just making out with a pilot right now. So I just want to give you a heads up. <laughs> no big deal. We're going to take our uh, our third break. Uh, talking to Shuli Agar. You can catch him this weekend at McGuire's in Bohemia, New York. Is that you said that's up by? No, that's in Long Island. Bohemia's that's in Long in Island. Long Island. Right. That is that that is combat comedy at its finest. So come on out. It'll be fun. Really, really a fun show. It's always fun, and I promise you, somebody always shows up from Stern World that makes it even more fun. So we're gonna take a break. It's radio with TV's Tim Stack. We'll be right back. What do you think of Shuley moving to Alabama? 
I don't understand how it's going to work practically. I mean, uh, d- d- doesn't he need to be at the show in the office or are his duties mostly confined to chasing whackbackers around? Uh, that was a clip. I want to talk to Julie about moving to Alabama because I, I don't know if you remember this, Julie. I feel partly responsible for it because prior to you doing this, you, you were the I, one who told me a bunch of Jews lived in Alabama. <laughs> yeah, I was the one. You, you got to look for no. them. Um, Still looking. <laughs> no, I because I did a similar thing when I moved my family from L.A. to Santa Barbara in 1991. So I now Huntsville, Alabama was not. You know, that's not on showbiz radio. I could drive to L.A. every day. That's right. what I had to do on the 101. I hit the 101 every day. And so, you know, like your parents, it was for the family. Right. So yeah. you moved to Alabama. You moved the family during COVID. You leave. You didn't leave the Stern Show. You left New York. It, just explain that because it's a really gutsy thing to do. And it, and it sort of goes back to what your parents did with you guys moving from Israel to Los Angeles. It's almost as big a move if you think about it. Yeah, I I, I didn't know the language of Huntsville, Alabama when I moved there. So it's identical. Uh, no, we were we were in New York. Like I was saying, you know, New York is this uh, lazy river moving at 100 miles an hour. And once you're in it, you're in it. And the pandemic, what it did was it stopped that flow. And so now here I am at home every day with these people that on my list of priorities were not at the top and they are called my family. And on top of that, you know, you're sitting in this apartment that you're, you're paying an arm and a leg for, and you're watching everything outside of this place, you know, for us anyways, we're watching everything outside the place just rot and, and crumble. And, and I'm like, I have two little girls here. You know, uh, I, I can't I, I don't know what kind of um, normalcy they're going to have in their life being here and, and being a part of all this. And so we started looking at places to move. We started looking at places to Huntsville wasn't the first choice. But once we saw what we could afford and what we can get for what we're paying in New York, plus I had some people out there and my mentality was like, look, I came to New York for a one-week consultant gig. Right, and, and stayed 20 years? Yeah, I, I had zero radio experience. I had zero comedy writing experience other than for myself. Um, improv, zero, none of that stuff. But, you know, if I can figure it out and make it work in New York City, wait, you think Huntsville, Alabama is going to stop me? Like, it doesn't have a shot. But also, you know, the thing that I keep hearing is like, you know, in Texas, there's Austin. No, there's Austin mm-hmm. and there's Texas. And I hear the same thing. There's Huntsville and there's Alabama. Like it's a there really is. hip town. Yeah, no. And, and Huntsville, first of all, you got to understand that the space industry is down there. Right. Uh, the, the military, uh, FBI, Google, like I'm surrounded by people so much smarter and braver than me. And. So, you know, we're we're in an area where my kids can go ride a bike to their friend's house and I don't have to worry about it. They can they can have a sleepover. They somebody can sleep over there. Like uh you know, the the only thing I will say the only thing that I found is different is is just how quickly people open up in the south. 
right. about their lives like that is they got to pump the brakes a little on that. That's that's much. That's a little too much. Um, yeah, I, I just but when you were telling me this long before you moved, like I think you went down there for a weekend or something and checked it out. Um, but I just kept thinking, like, I completely get it because going back to L.A., my kid, my daughter was at this nursery school that was way too fancy for us to be at. But we knew somebody mm-hmm. and and we we. She was in the three-year-old class, and we went to the four-year-old class's graduation. Yeah. And all of a sudden, this music starts, and down this, there was a backyard, and down the steps comes Pia Zadora. Speaking of Vegas, <laughs> her f- husband owned the Riviera Hotel, <laughs> and she comes down, leading the ho- all the four-year-old kids in a V with her in the middle, singing "We Are the World" to open this. They're four-year-olds, and it's Pia Zadora and Meshulam Rickless. That was his name, the owner, her husband. And he's in a wheelchair with the head tilted to the side because he's 105 at this point. And she's performing. I guess he's barely hanging on. And I just said, no, I turned to my wife. I looked over and said, we have to get out of here. And this opportunity (laughs) came up to move to Santa Barbara, and that's what we did. So I completely got your motivation for you were ridiculed on the Stern show for doing Well, that's it. the other thing. It's like, and, and I found that very interesting in, in a place like New York, which is all about, we open our arms to anyone and everyone. We are all the same. We yeah. treat everybody the same. And then the minute, you know, you're going to the, and they're like the South, the South. And it's, <laughs> listen, here's the deal. Here's why I snuck out there. Cause I didn't know anything about the South before I'm going to move my family there. I should at least look into it. And I think before a lot of these people commented, you know, uh, I know Jimmy Kimmel's a worldly traveler and he and he knows all about customs from all over the world. But, you know, before you open your mouth, maybe look into it a little bit and, and see what's going on over there before you, you know, it. they would get upset if people did the same thing to them in New York. You right. Know? So for me, it was a no brainer. My family came first at this point. That's what the pandemic taught me. And at the end of the day, my job was not the same that it was. Um I knew he wasn't going back to the office, Howard, anytime soon. So why? What am I rushing for? Like, what? Why am I going in and you're not? If if I'm going in, we're all going in. Let's go in, right. or let's not. I mean, right. pick one. But for me, it wasn't as enjoyable as it always was, um, and it was just time not only for a change where we lived, but a change career wise. Yeah, I had to and try that's it the other thing. You and my I, own. Yeah, and and I again, super courageous. But I I find you to be like as gutsy a person as i've ever met and i'm not just blowing smoke that's the israeli in me maybe it is we're we're dumb to the we're courageous that to the point where we're dumb you understand (laughs) like i had my cousin visit me from israel he's about to go into the uh, army this is when i was living in vegas and he came to hang out in vegas for a month before he went into the army and we're we're out drinking and we're going across the street and I tell him, I go, I see cars come. I go, Avi, watch out. And Avi goes, me watch out. They watch out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we have, uh, we've, as Howard says, we've covered it all. Uh, we're, we've come to an end talking to Shuli Agar. You can catch him this weekend at McGuire's in Bohemia. But I promise you, go to ShalomShuli.com, the links to his podcast. How many podcasts? You've done like, how many now? Crazy do. number. Well, I do the Shuli show. We have over 100 episodes of that. Right. We have um, the Uncle Rico show. We just 
uh, recorded number 30. We have the Miserable Men show that I do with a bunch of comics. Uh, all of these are Patreons and available on iTunes, and except Miserable Men. That one, we keep getting kicked off, but it's a fun show. <laughs> Trust me. There's a reason for it. Uh, but it's all there. It, all the links are there at ShalomShalee.com. I promise you it's a great trip. Uh, Shuli and I are trying to sell another show, a reality show. Don't tell them the idea. Don't give it away. Sh- uh, we have four minutes left? Oh, great. No, no, no. We- okay. Um, it's a great idea that Shuli told me and I leapt on because it's such a good idea. So I, I tagged on it. So we're out selling that. We're still trying to sell the uh, Tan Mom animated show, which I think somehow we're going to get that done. But anyway, catch him at, on his website. Shuli, thank you for doing this. I'm new at this, but I really appreciate uh, you being here and taking the time. You're a pro, buddy, no matter what you do. I, I, nobody nobody knows, nobody knows genius so. like you. You ooze genius. I've Ooh. told you that before. You have a little genius on your face right there. <laughs> Thank you so much. We'll see you next time on It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. And have fun. As always, a big thanks to Dr. D for making our voices come alive on the airwaves. And to our station manager, Les Carroll, for letting us on the air at all. Be sure to check out our very own Richard Dugan, a.k.a. Dr. D, Peabody Award-nominated radio show. Tell me your story every Sunday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Listeners, we appreciate you and want to hear from you. Please send us your ideas at jeremiah at thejeremiahshow.com or on Messenger, on Facebook, or Instagram. The show is produced by executive producer Jeremiah Higgins and sound and producer engineer Richard Dr. D. Dugan and me, your announcer, Tony Kelly. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.